Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Amen. Today, therefore, marks part 11 of Understanding This Gospel, Series 2. And we're looking at and hopefully concluding the power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I will never be disgraced. I will never be singled out because I misplaced my confidence and support or believed in the big lie. Remember that? I will never be personally humiliated, um, you know, or brought into fitting shame that matches the error of wrongly identifying or aligning with something. And I took time to explain that last week. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power. Not that it has the power, but that it is the power of God. So if God has power, it is contained in totality in the gospel. Such that to reject the gospel, we said, is to reject the power of God. To despise the gospel is to despise the power of God. To trivialize the gospel is to trivialize the power of God. To become familiar with the gospel is to become familiar with the power of God. Because the gospel is the encapsulation of everything God is able to do. Right? It is the power of God. Dunamin from dunamai which is the can ability of God. God's ability to can. God's ability to do. We looked at a few of those examples in the scriptures. It instantly changed your, your approach, your perspective of the word can. Of the word able. Yeah, it signifies ability. Same word. So it is the ability of God. In the gospel is God showing you what he's able to do. And what is he able to do? Save. And save not just as in forgiving your sins, which is just a token of salvation, but saving as in saving you. <laughs> right? Soteria. Saving as in saving you. We also established that because Paul was writing to the churches, the emphasis was not on the forgiveness of sin. I proposed or postulated an argument in Church Consciousness 5. Um, if 1 Corinthians 11, when we're exploring that text, Right? If 1 Corinthians 11 says, therefore let each man examine himself and then let him eat. You know, the argument was if, if Jesus took away your sins and your sins are forgiven and he says your sins and iniquities I will remember again no more. And then he goes on to say that as far as the east is from the west, so have you removed my transgression from me? Now if he says all of that and then when it's time, and then he calls you saints by the way, sanctified, hagios. And then it's time to eat communion and drink the blood of Jesus Christ. That's supposed to be for the, for the forgiveness of sin. And then it says, examine yourself before you drink the blood that will pay for your sin. First of all, is he expecting you to find sin in you that he took away when he took away the sins of the world? That, 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 that gives us a picture of a God we cannot trust. Because what he's saying is that even though Jesus took away our sins, you have to examine yourself because you take the, before you take the communion. Because it's possible you might find some sin. 
that survived the taking away of the sins of the world of Jesus. Therefore, before you touch the blood that was shed for the same sin, examine yourself and see if there's sin. And then you remove the sin before you take the blood that was shed for your sin. If that is not foolishness, I don't know what is. Because this is the blood that was shed for your sins. It therefore means that even if you found yourself, if you examined yourself and found sin, that is the reason why you should step up and say, Pastor, give me one liter of this communion. I need plenty of this communion today because I, I've examined myself and I found that I, need, I have sin that needs to be washed away by this communion. It's not that you found sin and you go, oh, I cannot touch the blood that is supposed to be given for the forgiveness of sins. That's why you should drink the blood. In fact, the preacher should hold up the jug and say, those of you who have examined yourself and have found yourself to be wanting, line up here and take the communion. My friend, that's what you need it for. Everybody else who has examined yourself and found yourself to be worthy. The Bible says that those of you who are strong should hold up those who are weak. So those of you who are strong, pray in the Holy Ghost as these other ones who are needing forgiveness, drink the blood. No, but we flipped it on its head. <laughs> and I repeat, if that's, if that's not foolishness, I don't know what is. Because if you examine yourself to make sure you don't have sin, before you take the blood given for the forgiveness of sin. Then by the time you examine yourself and confess your sin and be right with God. Apart from the blood. Then you don't need the blood. So Jesus died a very wasted death. Because if you can obtain forgiveness without the blood of Jesus. Or we need to come right with God. Apart from the blood of Jesus. Before we can now receive the blood. No wonder we now departed from the work of the atoning blood for sin and started using the blood for other, other things like killing people and, and dedicating stuff and protecting stuff. No wonder. No wonder we found other uses for the blood. <laughs> yes. We have to diversify the applications of the blood because after, if it's sin, we can examine ourselves and then we can know whether we're in the faith and then we can be right with God regardless of the blood. And even the same blood that you agree is for the forgiveness of sins. You want to plead it every day as if you're the high priest. Because again, I repeat over and over like a madman, only the high priest can apply the blood. If every believer can get up now and apply the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, then every Israelite should have been able to kill an animal and atone for their own sins. It's as clear as crystal. It is not a mystery. If those things were types and shadows and the reality is now, then even at that point, the types and shadows should have pointed out to what the reality is. So why did every Israelite need a high priest? In, the, in an era where it was only, only priests only from the tribe of Levi that were serving in the temple. How much more now that we have the Holy Spirit? Everybody should just sit down, cut a little bit of their own blood, respectively, every now and then, and just atone for their sins. The more blood you have, well, the more atonement you can enjoy. <laughs> if your blood level is low, I'm sorry for you. But the high priest applied the blood once. Once a year. Yeah, they are being significant or symbolic of a season. A time until. And they had to keep doing that because one, they were, they were human high priests. And two, they were cut short from continuing because of death. So there was no perpetual high priest. So every time you have to renew the sacrifice. And he comes once and offers the sacrifice once for all time. Once. Once. Hebrews 10. Applies the blood. Only the high priest can apply the blood. And he's our great high priest. 
He applies the blood once and for all. So no other, Jesus himself is not ever going to reapply the blood. Because Jesus himself is not re-giving his life. Because the life of a thing is in the blood. So like I said over and over, it's not the physical blood of Jesus that atoned for sin. It's the blood of Jesus as a type of the life of Jesus. It's the giving of his life, not physical blood. God is not bloodthirsty. He is not your native doctor at a shrine that enjoys the gory sight of blood. He's not a Viking. So we must adjust our understanding of God. Adjust our understanding of the gospel. It's the blood of Jesus. The life of Jesus. Given once, applied by the high priest. Nobody else can apply the blood. There's no blood left to apply. There's none. And so sometimes it baffles me. actually amuses me when Christians are arguing these things. It amuses me when charismatic believers or otherwise are arguing these things and you call yourself a believer. What have you believed? What have you believed? So it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul is telling the church. If Paul was telling the church, the emphasis could not have been on the forgiveness of sin. Because the church is the church because her sins have been forgiven. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because no, he tells them in Ephesians 1 and in Colossians 1. Ephesians 1, 7, Colossians 1, 14, if I'm correct. Ephesians 1, 7, Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have, we, we the saints, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Not we will have. Beautiful. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. What do we have? The forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1, 14. It reads the exact same words. To the Colossian church. Colossians 1.14 in whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Not we will have. We have. And it's not a function of what we did or didn't do. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He died for us. As saints. While we were sinners. Because you see, must understand that it's not sinners God fell in love with. God, God will never love sinners. I told you last week that God's agenda has never been for sinners. God's agenda has never been for sinners. God's agenda has always been for sons. God is, has always been a family man. He's always been a family man. His agenda has always been for sons. But then because the sons were lost or dead in sin, he had to deal with the sin problem. That's the emphasis of series 2 of UTG. He had to deal with the problem of sin. Because it's only when he takes away the sins of the world that the sons can show. And his agenda for eternal life, his agenda for, for immortality, his agenda for glorification is for sons, not for sinners. It's not the world that will be glorified. It is sons. Do you understand? So God didn't fall in love with sinners in the sense of, oh, I know you're very evil. I just like you like that. I just love you. That's not the love of God. God fell in love with the predestination of sons trapped in the body of a sinner. Therefore, he needs to deal with the sin problem, remove the sin problem so the son can show up for him to save the son. So what God fell in love with was not sinners when he fell in love with the world, the cosmos. He fell in love with the end result of what the work of Jesus will do. That's why Romans 5, 8 will say, but God commended his love to us in this manner while we were yet sinners Christ died for us who is the us referring to now saints who did he die for saints 
while they were yet sinners. He died for saints in their sinner form. <laughs> Romans 8 29. It will make sense to you in a minute. Romans 8 29. For whom he foreknew. How does TPT or the message put this first line? Who he foreknew? For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become. Who will become, just like him. But let me see it in the message. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The stone stands first in the line of humanity. He restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Intended shape. So what did God fall in love with? Who he knew you would be. Trapped in the body of who you were. Christ died for us saints while we were yet sinners. The reason why he loves the world is because of the sun potential in the world. And that's why religious people don't understand it. How can God, how can you be messing up and say God loves you? Because God saw the end from the beginning. And his love for me is not predicated or contingent on my behavior. It's the potential, the original intention in his heart. That's what we look at today. The original intention in the heart of God is what drives his love. God, God, God commended his love. Put it up, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. The original intention in the heart of God is what drives his love. That's why nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.8. What God demonstrated. His own love towards us. 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 In that while we were yet sinners or still sinners. Give us King James. KJV. Good old KJV King Jimmy. God commended his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. TPT. Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. So why did he die for us in our lost and ungodly state? Because he had, for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he, the son, might be the firstborn of many preaching. Does that make sense? So, so God has, it's not like God loves sin or rather, or even that he's threatened by it. That's why sin has never been a problem to God or even to Jesus. He dealt with it himself. Took it away. Now we're taking sin away. Who has responded to the sin being taken away? Who has believed that their sins have been taken away? Not, you see, and this is where religion struggles. The sins of the world have been dealt with. Nobody will be eternally damned because of sin. Oh, unfortunately, people will be eternally damned. But not because of sin. Nobody is going to the lake of fire. Because there's no hell. <laughs> there's no hell in No human beings in hell. Hell fire. Alright, there's Hades. Hades, the place of the dead, will be cast into the lake of fire. Yeah? And even at the time that Hades is judged, everyone will be brought out and judged. And then Hades, emptied of the dead, is cast into the lake of fire. 
Because every dead in Hades is judged. <laughs> and so whoever will be condemned eternally will not be condemned because their sin was not forgiven. But because they did not receive. So they did not become sons. John 1.12 As many as, as many as received him. To them he gave authority to be sons. But the sins of the world was forgiven. The world was reconciled to God. But the authority for sonship is given to those who believe that gospel. That's why the doctrine of universal inclusion cannot be right. Because the authority is given to those who receive him. The fact that everybody's sin is forgiven doesn't mean everybody will walk in sonship. It takes responding to the faith of the son of God to receive the exousian to become sons. Does that make sense? Now, out of the world whose sins have been forgiven, by faith, sons manifest and line up for salvation. Do you understand? I will repeat. The sins of the world. John 1, 29. John says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Right? God was in Christ reconciling the world. Right? So, the world is reconciled to God. The sins of the world are taken away. But not the entire world will believe. Not the entire world will believe. To those that believe and respond to the faith of God that is transmitted to them at the hearing of the gospel. Authority is given to now become sons of God. Thus entering the rights and privileges of sonship. So it's those people that receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. Therefore it is those people that God is duty bound to. To preserve their salvation for the day of redemption. That's what identifies us. That's the identifier. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in the world, but indwells sons. Does that make sense? He works in the world. Sponsoring the gospel, but he dwells in sons who have believed. He doesn't dwell in unbelievers. It's not possible. But the unbeliever's sin is forgiven. <laughs> Do you get it? The unbeliever's sin is forgiven, but the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in the unbeliever because the unbeliever has not received him. Therefore, doesn't have the authority to become sons of God. Doesn't have authority to exercise sonship in the earth. Does that make sense? So those that have now received are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. That has now queued us up for adoption. Euthesia. Which I've explained to you means coming of age. Coming to the point where you can act for your father. Eternal life. Immortality. Salvation. Redemption. <laughs> Does that make sense? So we looked at all of that. Last week. God is able to save. Is what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. is beyond the forgiveness of sins. Is beyond now to him who is able to forgive you. Duh. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. God's ability to forgive sinners has never been the problem. If a man did not know they were sinners. Jesus did not come to die because people prayed for him to come and die. And no matter how people pray now. Jesus come quickly. He's not coming. Because you can't make him come. Just as you didn't make him die. Even when they tried to kill him before, he told them, my time has not yet come. So when it was time, he actually 
I mean, picture, have you pictured this before? Hey, 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 hey. We have come. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. All the soldiers fall into on the ground. <laughs> he waits for them. Stands, they stand up. And he asks them, who do you say you are looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And they fell again to the ground. Awesome. John 18 verse 4. 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. <laughs> Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that will come upon him. Did you see that? Went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? And they said, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Uh-huh. And Judas also uh, betrayed, who betrayed him also stood with them, the six. And when he said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Yusuf, check it. <laughs> how does how does TPT or other other translations put verse six? And the moment Jesus spoke the words, "I am He," the mob fell backwards to the ground. Verse seven. Obviously, Jesus waited for them. They gathered themselves, stood up. Then. He asked them a second time in verse 7. Whom are you seeking? <laughs> and they answered, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered them and said, I told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let this go their way that might be fulfilled saying, of whom you give me, I have lost none. I've taught on this before. About Judas and John 17. Then Simon Peter, having the sword, drew it and struck Simon Peter's ear. Blah, blah, blah. Now imagine you went to arrest someone. You are shouting. Who are you seeking? Jesus. Pa! Everybody under the canopy. <laughs> Does that sound like somebody people killed? Or somebody that offered himself to be killed when it was time? So people wanted to hurt him, but nobody could until it was time. And even when it was time, he had to make them take him. He had to make them take him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm very, my imagination is very vivid. I picture the Roman centurion who was at the cross, who was the one that testified and said, surely this was the son of God. Do you remember? There was a centurion that stood by. said, surely. Because if it was you, you are among the soldiers that went to the garden. Jesus said, it's me. All of you, flat on the ground. Got up. Who are you seeking now? Jesus the Nazarene. Okay. I've told you I'm here. Take me, let them go. You two, you are taking somebody you know. You do not arrest. Your heart to be beating 120 miles an hour. You are carrying somebody that you fell, you fell. You passed out. He waited for you to wake up. Then he asked you again, who are you looking for? You too, there will be fear in your heart. You know John 21 says they didn't write all the things. But you too, there will be fear in your heart. Be, ah, this one is not a normal person. 
You this one is all say, how, how does it befall us to kill such a person? And then they get to Pilate. They tell Pilate everything. Pilate's wife comes and warns Pilate. I dreamt to <laughs> Wash your hands. And then Pilate washes his hand and said, I am relieved of this guy's blood. That's why Pilate decided to bring Barabbas. Because he thought the only way to let Jesus go is to bring the worst person ever that they could, they could never have thought that they would choose to be released. That's why he brought Barabbas. He was the worst of the worst. So that by the time they see Barabbas, his intention was they will receive a reset. They'll be like, no, okay, no, no, Barabbas. No, Barabbas hurt us. He raped us. He stole us. So, no, no, okay. In that case, at least Jesus healed our blind eyes. He caused, you know, people to see. He fed us when we were hungry. Okay, so, okay, we can manage Jesus, but definitely not bad. To his utter shock, because it was time. People screamed, release Barabbas. Imagine the shock on Pilate's face. He'd be like, you say? Say what? He'd be like, I meant Barabbas. And he'd be like, yeah, release him. That's why Pilate didn't end there. If you read the narrative, he then asked them again, so now what do you want me to do with Jesus? To his utter shock, they screamed to crucify him. They didn't even shout kill him. They didn't shout stab him. They chose the method by divine arrangement. Because crucifixion was not a Jewish form of capital punishment. <laughs> they would have probably stoned him to death. Or hung him since he was cursed. But they screamed instantly as if inspired. I see somebody whisper to all their ears and pass the note. So when they ask you, choose crucifixion, choose crucifixion, choose crucifixion. What would you have me do, Jesus? Crucify him. And imagine the whole mob is screaming at the same time. Put him on a tree. You are shouting, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You are shouting, let prophecy be fulfilled. He's innocent. Put his blood on our heads. <laughs> and not just also our children. Our children. And God is like, yes and amen. Let's do it. <laughs> That's not somebody that they killed. That's somebody that wrote the script of how he went out. He's that powerful. He's that able. So yes, the gospel makes unbelievers to become believers. But that's the entry point. Right? Are you understanding it now? When I've always said to you before this series, in between series 1 and series 2, I've always told you that there is more to salvation than the forgiveness of sins. People thought I was crazy. Even New Testament guys, even gospel preachers and teachers, what are you talking about? There's more to salvation than the forgiveness of sins. There's more. There's more than just the forgiveness of sins. There's more than you just being justified and being sanctified and being righteous and all the gospel Christocentric cliche that we're running around with. If it doesn't translate to the fullness of the salvation narrative of God, there are things in our lives that cannot fall into place. So yes, the gospel makes unbelievers into believers. 
And that is an act of God on the unbeliever. It's an act of salvation. Because salvation or the forgiveness of sins is an instantaneous act of God. God doesn't forgive your sin in, 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 in processes, in installments, deposits, most more. In systematic theology, in the soteriology branch, soteria, salvation, logi, from logos, to know, or body of work that, that teaches truth about something. Does that make sense? Or the embodiment of knowledge about something. That's where you get logic from, as a noun. So when you add those two words together, it becomes a Greek compound word. Hence, theology, the logos of theos. Does that make sense? Or the body of work or the body of truth that reveals God. Make sense? So, soteriology is a study of salvation. Does that make sense? So it's a branch of theology that deals with salvation. And even these guys that teach or develop theology all believe in regeneration as an instantaneous act of God by which imputation of righteousness and removal of sin happens to the believer. In systematic theology, in the study of sociology, they also believe and therefore submit as a proven fact that regeneration is so instantaneous that in most cases the person does not realize when it happened. So it's not every believer that can tell you on the 14th of May 2001 I gave my life to Christ. That's already a problem but it's okay. Because if it's you giving life to Christ then we, we can understand why your life is the way it is. Because that's why you can take it back whenever you like. You can take your holiday. You can do whatever you want to do your life. Can you see your life? Because I am come, he said, that they may have your dead life could not have been an ingredient for the life God gave you. Because, and this is the truth, John says in 1 John 3, and he is eternal life. Not he has, he is. This is the son of God and eternal life. I am come that they may have life. If he was just giving you life, you could have sent it without coming. But the, I came, because if I don't come, you will not have life. I am life, I am the way. This is not what Pap says, I am the way. The truth and the life. That's what he says. So if I am life, the only way you can receive life is if I come. So I am come that you may have life. This is not life I can send. Because this life is life I am. You get it? I am come that you may have life. Have life in abundance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it's, it's God's salvation upon the believer. It's a regeneration. Instantaneous. Sometimes you don't know. <laughs> but you just know. I believe the Lord. My sins are forgiven. You may not be able to draw it in an exact line and say that believing happened at this point. But you just come into the awareness. You know what? I am son of God. But see, every religion makes you feel like you must have a Road to Damascus experience. Says who? I also ask you, oh, Alexander Victor, so just like I look for trouble. But read that narrative and tell me anywhere in the narrative where God told Saul his sins were forgiven. On the road to Damascus. As you have encountered me now, I've blinded you with light, I'm forgiving your sins. Or as they also lied, I'm changing your name. I've dealt with that in this house. 
His name was not changed. His name was Saul. His name was Paul. <laughs> God just told him, and the Lord whom he persecutes, you can't kick against the prick. Now I will send you to, do, to go and do, preach my gospel. Go to Ananias. Simple. Because the guy was serving God wrongly. Because he was the first person to ask a question. What did he ask? Who art thou, Lord? <laughs> so yes. The gospel kickstarts the act of God for salvation upon the unbeliever. But like I said last week, if that is all God's power is able to do, then other religions whose message also converts people can be said to measure up with God. If the power of God unto salvation means the power of God to convert the sinner. Does that make sense? Or to make the sinner feel like your sins are forgiven. And that means these powers are at par. Because they are all able to convert, to change. If somebody comes and teaches you New Ageism or Scientology or, or Buddhism or Confucianism, Rastafarianism and all the other isms and is able to change the, a person's mind, then there's no superiority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's very dangerous to give your life to Christ. Because you collect it anytime. You collect it and give to the next best thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why a lot of people feel responsible for their own salvation. So I give my life to Christ. So I have to keep it in Christ. I have to ensure that it doesn't drop out of Christ. And when I'm not feeling like it, I can collect it from Christ. Even briefly, even just on loan. You know what I mean? Like just change network briefly. <laughs> Let's try it. If it doesn't work, we'll come back and rededicate. We just collect welcome back back. Pull 500 naira recharge. Let's try it. Yeah, just rededicate your life. Because you are the one that dedicated it the first time. The one that dedicated it. That's the problem. If that's all God's power is able to do, just forgive sin or convert people, then other powers are at par. But no, other powers are not at par. Other powers don't measure up to God's power. There's only one Lord, Ephesians 4. One faith, one, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Neither is there salvation. And think about it for a minute. Neither is there salvation in any other. Please think beyond neither is there forgiveness of sins in any other. <laughs> neither is there salvation. No other God has this benefit package for you for eternity. There's no salvation in any other. In any other God, once you die, you are dead. Neither is there salvation. Please think beyond the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to believe myself, man. I'm trying to believe myself. I'm trying to believe myself. 
But there's no other name given on under heaven, given among men, by which you must be saved. Yes, our sins are forgiven. It's an act of salvation. It's not all there is to salvation. Do you understand that? It's the first step to salvation that is done in salvation. Forgiveness of sins. The first step to salvation that is done inside. Does that make sense? Salvation package. First step inside salvation. As an act of salvation is the forgiveness of sins. That's not the final bus stop. Can't build a camp around there. That's the that's where the journey of salvation to salvation begins. In salvation. That's why I wrote that salvation is a is a period. Remember that? It's a period. It's just one act. It's a period. And I told you last week that salvation is the day from the cross to the glory. Salvation begins at the cross and ends at the glory. That's the full eon of salvation. The full process. The full day of salvation. So we enter the day of the Lord. That is when salvation is complete. That's when we are saved. Until we get to the point where no human element can mess up with what God did. God hasn't finished saving you. Does that make sense? Because now you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You have been put up for adoption. You have been put up. You have been put up for adoption. Is it the same metaphor as you have been betrothed to be a bride? Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is your engagement ring. Ephesians 1.13, TPT, right? And because of him, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation, now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride. Did you see that? The Holy Spirit is given to us as an engagement ring given to a bride as the first installment of what is coming. We're not calling this marriage off, but we're waiting to finish it. One more ring is coming. That's what the Holy Spirit is there to guarantee. That this marriage will finish up. That's why it says nothing can separate you from his love. There's no divorce in this one. That's why God hates divorce. Not God is having a problem with a man and woman separating. So the woman is being beaten and pummeled. She's like, ah, you know, God hates divorce. God, you would die. God hates divorce as a symbol of showing you that if it is good that a man and woman stay together against all odds, that is only happening so you can understand that this marriage you have entered with me. I'm not divorcing you. Do what you like. So you can't hold on to this symbol and forget the reality. And in the symbol, you are being beat, pummeled, and taken advantage of, smashed down. And you are saying, God hates divorce as if it's a sin that the Holy Spirit cannot forgive or the blood of Jesus did not, did not atone for. And while you are there arguing in your religious mindset that you cannot divorce your wife, she's stuck with you. You are the one still arguing that you can lose your salvation. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. If you can start and say that God hates divorce a man and no matter what happens, love conquers all. A man and a woman must stay together in the same mouth, the same breath. You can preach 
that a man can lose his salvation because God can be offended and God can be disappointed and God can be heartbroken and God can feel cheated to the point where God will forsake you that he has loved with what he claimed is an everlasting love. You see, the truth of the matter is that you are the liar. But let God be true. Do you understand what I'm saying? You stand and you say, no, no matter what happens. Do you know how many people have died? Because the pastor told them, no matter what happens, you must stay with your husband and wife. You must stay, you must take it. It's till death do us part for a human being, but death cannot do us part for God. God can divorce you. That's how you behave. Cheat on God. Before you even know that you have even cheated on God, he has divorced you. But brother, elder, deacon, sister, you worship leader, you can't leave. You can't, pastor. God hates it. God hates it, but God does it. Divorce, but God divorces at will. And that God is not worth being followed. There's no way you can believe in marriage and not believe in Christ and the church. There's no way you can believe in no divorce and believe that God divorces. <laughs> That's why I keep saying, you know the cure to error. Sound teaching. Sit down. Sit down. I don't care how long you've been around. Sit down. Come into right teaching. The fact that it fails with humans. And it will fail just because we are humans. Some things will not work. <laughs> it's just what it is. But it doesn't mean that it now applies to God. Because it says of God, even if we are faithless, Paul tells Timothy, he remains faithful. Why? He cannot deny himself, 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 himself. God will not stop being God or reduce his standards because you messed up. Because you messed up. And so we have put the cart before the horse in, in Christianity. Focused on minoring on the majors and majoring on the minors. How can you believe that God hates divorce and believe that God divorces? Have you read Hosea? God tells Hosea, go and take Goma, a very, very notorious prostitute. Pay her bride price, marry her. She starts giving birth, Loami, Loruhama, you know, Jezreel gives birth to children, not loved, abandoned. Forsaken. And God is telling him, name the children like that. She finished giving birth to three children. She leaves. According to Bible history, she even left Hosea's house while she was pregnant for the third. According to Bible history. Left. Popular. Known all over the place. No remorse. And <laughs> God looking at Hosea. First of all, Hosea's life is totally messed up. His reputation is ruined. What kind of man of God do you say you are? You might be a person, not just a person, the most notorious one in the city. How? God told me. God, shut up your mouth there. Blasphemous, heretical nonsense. You are deluded and retarded. How can you say God? Which God? Shut up! God, do you know God? What does God look like? What does God sound like? God. So Hosea would have been the only one standing in Israel who felt that what he heard was God. To say marry a prostitute, notorious one. His own parents, his family is looking at him. Please pray for Hosea. He's lost his way. Pray for Hosea. Something has happened to him. Someone has bewitched him. The Goma herself has no idea why Hosea is married to her. She, she knows he's foolish. Think she doesn't know? She knows. 
She, every day she looks at him when she wakes up and she goes out to the balcony to have her customers come and attend to her. She's looking at Hosea like, hey, this guy, do you even know what you were doing? One child, two children, three children. She goes straight back to her former life and this time around moves into the house of a man as a concubine. The guy must have been treating her well by her professional standards. And while she's there, God tells Hosea, count 20 pieces of silver. Equals to 30, 20 shekels equals to 30 pieces of silver. Come and buy your wife back. Carry your wife. Your wife. And we say, I'll be like, my wife? And God will be like, yeah, of course. And now. Your wife, sir. Not just are you taking her back. Not just are you taking her back as your wife. You are paid to take her back. When it should be the wife, really, paying restitution to the husband to be even qualified to be called a wife. Because the honor was coming upon her to have a man as chaste as Hosea to be willing to give her his name. And yet God tells Hosea, you go and pay and take her back. Back. Not take her, pay and collect her back. She left, but she ain't going nowhere. She's your wife. Imagine going to somebody that your wife ran away to and saying, Sir, I'm so sorry. But what is the contract worth for the rest of her life? Staying here, how useful is she in this business for the rest of her life? I want to buy her from you so that you can never claim right to her again. So name your price. How long can she be a prostitute for? 40 years. How much is that worth every day for the next 40 years? 20 shekels of silver. Give me my wife. And he buys her. But buys her out. So there's none of her in the market anymore. Remember that? I can lose my salvation. But the prostitute couldn't lose her wifehood. The prodigal son couldn't lose his sonship. Saul couldn't lose his donkeys. David never lost his sheep. As stupid as the sheep was to have strayed and entered the path of a lion. Because hear me carefully. There's no way the lion came into the sheep pen. It would have been more than one sheep missing and the sheep would have been dead. If a, if a lion comes into a sheep pen, the carnage will be unimaginable. So for a lion to grab one sheep, it means that one sheep straight. And David, as a shepherd, leaves the 99, chases that one, rescues it, restores it to this one. Somehow I'm the only one he can't come after. Oh, but he came after. Put me in the sheep pen, secured me. I cannot lose anymore. Where have we lost into? <laughs> I mean, where are we going to get lost to? I mean, I can't. I can't get lost. I can't get missing. I can't be lost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can't lose. <laughs> you know, you say, I, I can't be missing. I can't go missing. We're here, we say, you can't miss. It's, it's, it's short and straight to the point. You don't have what it takes to miss. 
He can't, can't. Are you getting this? So Paul is referring to more. His choice of words point to all of God's ability in the salvation equation. He's pointing to all of God's ability. All God is able to do in the salvation period. Do you understand? That's why he chose the word soteria for Romans 1.16 instead of just sozo, which should be instantly or immediately referring to sin. So he chose the word soteria, capturing the full package of what God is able to do, not just sozo. And soteria is threefold, right? Soteria is threefold. This will give you a little bit more now and add more to soteria is my salvation. Truly eternal forever. Salvation from sin is the first one. First dimension, first faculty. Jesus comes to deal with sin, but the focus of his message is on the result of his work. That's where we started series two. You remember? The focus is not sin. The focus is the result of his work, the kingdom. As a result of which we had to necessarily deal with the sin problem. Are we here? Okay. So he comes to deal with the problem, but he focuses his message on the solution. He comes to deal with the problem, but he focuses his message on the solution. He comes to deal with the problem, but he focuses his message on the result. On the outcome. Right? What is the outcome? The coming of the kingdom. Because I've always said that the coming of the kingdom is the end of the gospel. Is it, is it making sense? The coming of the kingdom is the end of the gospel because kingdom has always been on God's mind. Are we following? It's always been kingdom. Always. So God, Jesus focuses on the end. Not on the problem. Because the problem was as good as solved. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the earth. And what were we waiting for? The fullness of time. Kairos. Does that make sense? Fullness of time for him to be slain on the earth as he had been slain from the foundation of the earth. That's why Adam was not condemned. Because provision had been made. Does that make sense? That's why Lot and those who believed came out of Sodom. Because again, Sodom was what? The absence of salvation. Sodom was not destruction. But since destruction or condemnation is always the absence of salvation or justification, it was inevitable that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire. But what did God come to Sodom to do? To save it. Um, okay, so if there are 50 people that believe righteous. Will you spare it? God is like, oh, of course. 50. Of course, I'm not, I'm not. I didn't come to mess it up. I didn't come to destroy Sodom. I came to save it. But no, people are not believing. Give me 50 people that believe. Then these cities are worth sparing. Abraham goes 40. 30. 20. 10. God says even 10 people that believe the gospel. I won't, spare, I won't kill it. I'll spare it. Even the five was difficult. Even five. They still couldn't be up to five. There were four. Lot, 
his wife, and their two daughters. And even at that, the Lord says, okay, now we can't spare the city, but you saints, we're sparing you. Get you out. So God has never, hear me carefully, God has never destroyed his own. And he won't start now. Never destroyed his own. So the end game, the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom is the end of the gospel. Number two of threefold soteria is the accessories package. I won't dwell much on this because we dealt with this in the Great Exchange 2 series. We dealt with this in understand, in um, um, Soteria is my salvation. Truly forever. We dealt on all that comes with the salvation package. Right? Deliverance, rescue, safety. Remember the analogy of your mobile phone that you bought brand new? You know, it comes with pretty much everything that you need to get the phone running. Right? We, we borrowed from that analogy extensively to drive home the salvation narrative. Right? So, number two, the accessories package. All that comes with the forgiveness of sins. All that comes with justification. All that comes with sanctification. And then the third dimension of our soteria package is the final salvation. <laughs> number one, salvation from sin. Number two, the salvation package, the accessories. Number three, the final salvation. If you like, if you want to borrow Nigerian parlance, the real salvation. The real salvation. That is what is showcasing the power of God. The final salvation. Does that make sense? That's the boast that Romans was making in Romans 8 when it says, if the spirit of him that raised up Christ, that's the boast from the dead, dwells in you. Pause. It means that it was by the spirit that was in Christ Jesus that he was raised up from the dead. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If the spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. So who raised up Christ from the dead? The spirit. Right? The spirit of God was how God raised up Christ from the dead. If that spirit dwells in you. He that raised up Christ. Who is he? The father. That raised up Christ from the dead, how? Through the Spirit. Will also give life. Same thing he did to Jesus. Raised up Christ from the dead was not referring to giving Christ life after his sins were, after he was dead in sin. Giving life to Christ, or waking Christ up, or giving, bringing him back from the dead, was not bringing him back from a, dead, a life of sin. It was giving him birth again. Born again from the dead. What dead? Not dead in sin, but dead in his natural life. Even though his natural life was in righteousness. Because righteousness does not save you from dying. <laughs> Being a son of God is not immunity against death. Sir, you will die. Oh yes. I will die. Because we're mortal. 
no matter how long we live, the end of this long life is death. <laughs> you still die. So righteousness is not immunity against death. Death is a necessary human phenomenon. One, two. As I told you last week, death is what gives you the opportunity to sow your body as a seed. So you can reap in corruption. So if you don't die, what's going to happen to you? Okay, wait till Jesus comes. Wait. So Jesus was raised from the dead. From the natural dead. Even though in his life, he knew no sin. He was righteous. But he died. And by the spirit of God, God raised him from the dead. Now if, if that spirit through which God raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, which it does, then he, who raised up Christ from the dead, will quicken your mortal body when it's time. Does that make sense? Will quicken your mortal body when it's time. That's the final salvation. Eternal life, immortality, righteousness, the kingdom, eternal life. Remember that? From part one to verse nine. Part one to part nine of series two. I've taken time to deal with that. Right? Eternal life, the kingdom, immortality, righteousness, the kingdom. Eternal life. <laughs> Everlasting life. That is the final salvation. That's what, that's what we have hope of. Does that make sense? So Romans 1.16 explains that God is able to save us till the end. Till the final salvation. Are you guys following me? God is able to save us till the end. Till the final salvation. Till the final salvation. Till the end. What end? <laughs> what do we mean by end? Romans 10.4 Romans 10.4 For Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe. The word end there is the word word telos. T-E-L-O-S. Telos. And telos doesn't just mean end as in time. Like you're going from here and that's the end of the room. It means aim. Goal. Purpose. Such that to say this is the end of this thing is to say, hold on, the coming of the kingdom is the end of the gospel. I said this in part one of series one. It's taking me four years for you to understand what end means. The coming of the kingdom is the end of the gospel. The end of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom. And not in, that is where the gospel finishes. But end in the sense that the purpose of the gospel, the aim of the gospel, the goal of the gospel is the establishing of the kingdom. Not that the gospel ends when the kingdom comes. But that the assignment of the gospel is to bring about the kingdom. Telos. You get it? Good. Now, that's the word telos. Bring it back to Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law. It's not saying that Christ is where the law ended. 
<laughs> He's saying that Christ is the purpose, the aim, the goal of the law. The law's assignment was to bring about the revelation of Jesus. That's why Jesus can stay in John 5. From verse 39 going, he says, ah, it's not me on that day that will stand against you. It's Moses in whom you trust. Referring to the law, not Moses the person. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. 41, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. 43, I've come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him, he will receive. 44. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Then he goes into 45. He says, on account of this, do not think I shall accuse you to the Father. Or do not think it's I that shall accuse you. For there's one who accuses you. Moses in whom you trust. Give me the TPT of the message. I want to see how they render Moses. I won't be the one who accuses you before the Father. The one who will incriminate you is Moses, the very one you claim to obey. The one in whom you trust. The message. Don't think I'm going to accuse you before my Father. Moses in whom you put so much stock. is <laughs> your accuser. Moses. The law. The law of Moses. Right? John 1 17. The law was given through Moses. King James, I think, says the law came by Moses. The law was given by Moses. So when you hear Moses, is synonymous with the law. When you hear the law, that's why the, the five, first five books of the Pentateuch of the Old Testament are called the first five books of Moses or the Pentateuch. Penta for five, talk, right? five writings, together writings of Moses. Are we here? So when Jesus says, it's Moses that will accuse you, he's referring to the law. Go back to 45 of John 5. John 5, 45. Moses in whom you trust, next verse, 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Come on, guys. Come on, religious people. Come on, Old Testament advocates. Come on, DJs. I won't mix us. Moses wrote about me. So to read anything Moses wrote and to miss Jesus is to misunderstand, misrepresent, and misinterpret everything Moses said. The fastest and surest way to error is to try to practice what Moses wrote Without acknowledging who it was about. Fastest and surest way to error. With good intention. You think you are practicing the Bible. But you miss the message. Miss the message. What it was about. Who it was about. Moses wrote of me. He's the message of the scriptures. He's the message. Are we here? So when Paul says in Romans 10 that Christ is the end of the law, he says Christ is what the law was about. 
Christ was the purpose of the law. Right? No, Galatians said that we were kept in chains by the law until faith will come. And what faith? Faith of Jesus, the Son of God. Galatians 2.20. Make sense? Are we here? So that's what we mean by end. Tell us. The principal end, the aim, the goal for something. So I wrote here, Christ isn't just the termination of the law for righteousness. He is the aim, the purpose, the goal, the message of the law. 1 Corinthians 1.78. Let's look at that and you see. 1 Corinthians 1.78. <laughs> You're going to love this. I promise. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Who will also confirm you Telos. To the end. He will confirm you till the end. He will confirm you until the purpose is achieved. He will confirm you until you enter the goal. He will confirm you until the aim is realized. Matthew 24, 14. End. Telos. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. It is commonly regarded to as the end of this age. The termination. But Jesus is talking about the purpose of the gospel. Which is what? The coming of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom we preached in all the earth. Then the purpose has been achieved. And what's the, what's the purpose? What's the aim? What's the goal? The kingdom. Eternal life. Immortality. Are you here? See Matthew 26 and 58. The outcome. The end. The purpose. Matthew 26, 58. But Peter followed him as a, at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end, the outcome. As if arrested Jesus now. Peter was let me go and follow and see what will happen to him. Not to see how Jesus will die. Do you understand? What is the outcome of this arresting? Does that make sense? That's the word. Tell us. Hebrews 6 and 11. Hebrews 6, 11. And we desire... That each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope. Hope. Hope until the end. Hope until the end. First Peter 1 and 9. Are you getting this? The end. The final salvation. First Peter 1 9. <laughs> Receiving the end of your faith. Now, does this suggest that your faith is ending? But see how clear it becomes. Receiving the end of your faith, which is what? End there, tell us, being what? Receiving the goal or the aim or the purpose or the aspiration or the outcome of your faith. 
And who is this talking to? Believers. It says you will, re- you will receive the, go- the reason why you are believing is the salvation of your souls. You will receive what you are believing for. The salvation of your souls. That means you haven't received it. You have received it, but you haven't. If you have received it, then it's not hope. Because who, who hopes for what he already has? Hope that is seen is not hope. That's what Paul says. Are you here? Now, look at 725 of Hebrews. This is the lightning and the thunder, right? Hebrews 725. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. That's the word eis. E-I-S. Remember that? He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Seeing as he ever lives to make intercession for them. To the uttermost. He's not talking about forgiveness of sins. He's talking about beyond forgiveness of sins. He's able to forgive your sins and finish it from forgiveness of sins until. Eis means unto. Connoting a period from morning to night. A period. From one day to the other. That's why I said salvation, the final salvation or the entire salvation package is from the cross to the glory. You get it? That's what is. God is able to save. He's able to. He's able to. Do not mind. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is also able do not mind to save to the until, until we enter. Yes. God is able to save to the uttermost. Hallelujah. I also showed you last week. I mentioned it last week. Telos is the noun form of telios, which is the verb form, which is where Jesus cried at the cross, tetelestai. When you check tetelestai in the Greek, finished, completed, nothing remains to be added. When you click tetelestai, it takes you to telios, which takes you to telos. So when Jesus screamed tetelestai, what did he scream? What he screamed tetelestai is this. This sacrifice I have just offered is able to keep whoever comes into this until the goal is achieved. So it is finished was not just your sins are forgiven. That's not the finished. Because if your sins are forgiven and you are still in this state, it's not finished. Tetelestai means this one-off, two-in-one, perfect sacrifice. Is good until ace is good until the goal is achieved. I do not need to die again because by this sacrifice, whoever believes will enter eternal life. Will enter. Whoever comes in will get there. Tetelestai. Whoever believes will see. This is confirming what he told Nico. Do you get it? Whoever believes 
the goal for this sacrifice, they will not see episcusunomai. This sacrifice is good enough to save from sin and make them enjoy salvation in the middle. And enter the final salvation as the end. Not just at the end. For you shall receive the end of your faith. First Peter 1. The salvation of your souls. Are you getting it? So Tetelestai was from the cross to the glory plus everything in between. Tetelestai. Telios. Telos. The goal of this sacrifice will not be lost on anyone who believes. This is what Jesus was saying in many different words in John 10 when he says in verse 28 and 29, for me, the Father has given them to me and no one will be able to snatch them from my hands. No, my Father who loves them is greater than all and no one will be able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why was he saying that? Because what he was going to offer on the cross will be until. So there will never be a time where the, the sacrifice of Jesus does not cover you in the eyes of the Father such that you have to strive for yourself to attain. You know, when Jesus claimed it's finished, he looked at the entire spectrum of life and eternity concerning your salvation and said, I have paid it all. Not just have I paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. That's little. Low. I know you are grappling with the fact that, wow, you made even my future sins are forgiven. While you are dealing with that, we're telling you it's bigger than that. It's bigger than your future sin. We're telling you Jesus guaranteed your eternity. He guaranteed your immortality. So when you go past what is called future now, there is a future that is more futuristic than your future in which you've seen a sin that has been forgiven. That's how calm God is. That's how able he is. I understand you are struggling with it. You can't even comprehend the fact that your sins of the next 30 years are forgiven. Meanwhile, God, before whom 1,000 years are as a day, has factored that for the rest of eternity, you are not just forgiven of your sins, you have, you have been adopted in sonship and you rule and reign with me forever. So you see, the only person struggling with that concept is you. That's what we're teaching you. That's what begins to shed light on the ability of God. Because you see, all of what you are look, trying to look at in the future, it straddles God Without him having to move his eye right or move his head left. All of eternity, all of no beginning till no end is immediately in God's presence. God doesn't have to move his head left to see eternity past. He doesn't have to move his head right to see eternity to come. All of no beginning, all of no end are in the presence of God who has been before them. Thou, O God, has been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever thou formed the earth and the world from everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So you see, God doesn't have a problem securing your eternity. Because he's the one that secured the eternity of eternity. Eternity began in him before from everlasting. To everlasting. 
Thou art God. So he says, I'm able to save you to everlasting. If I, if I created everlasting, it's not a problem for me to give you what is everlasting. Because I gave birth to everlasting. If I could create everlasting, why can't I give you life everlasting? I'm able. And so all I want you to see, God is telling you, is how able I am to give it to you even when you do not see the capability of coming into it. Because you don't have to see the ability to believe it. You don't have to. Go to the bank, you give them a check for 10 million, they pay it in the bank. You say, take me to the vault. Can I see my particular 10 million? No, you just know it's there. When it's time to take it, you take a check or you use an app or use your ATM. You withdraw money that you know is there. You just go to the bank every, every week, every month. I just came to see my money. It was in, in the vault, in the table on the right, under that drawer there, the other ones that were there in the yellow wrapper. I just want to see it and see how we are doing. Seeing is believing, bros. No. You trust the bank. You trust that the bank will have money to give you whenever you need it on account of what you give them. doesn't matter what the money looks like. What matters is its value. It's tender value. Does that make sense? It's money when you, it's value when you tender it. See? So you don't have to feel like you have eternal life. You don't have to. You have to know that the person that promised it to you is able. And because he's able and he's not a man that he should lie, then you know that if he's able, I have it. If he's able, I have it. Because he will not promise me what he cannot give. But if God could create eternity, he can give eternal life. Oh, I love that line. If God can create eternity, can give eternal life. And that's what he has promised us. Eternal life. He's able to save until. Until when? Ephesians 4.13. <laughs> and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See that day? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day. In whom we have redemption, but we qualify what that redemption is. The forgiveness of sins. But there is a day of redemption coming. You have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But there is, for lack of a better way to put it, another. It's not another, but just allow me to borrow the word another redemption coming. Because really what you are, what you are getting is not another. It, it is the end of your redemption. The telos of redemption. In other words, you are getting the redemption for, that you were redeemed to get. Do you understand? You were redeemed from your sins. Ransomed from your sins. To be given a redemption. Just as you were saved to be given a salvation. Problem is we are camping too early. We're camping too early. We're settling too early. This is why after Rehoboth, Isaac moved. <laughs> We're settling too early. Too early. You are redeemed for a redemption. You are saved for a salvation. 
So Paul writes, you know, I told you last week, Paul is a master argumentator, master writer, master explainer, master teacher. He says, in whom you receive redemption. And instantly he qualifies what that redemption is. In this instance, the forgiveness of sin. But after that, you now receive the Holy Spirit as a seal preparing and guaranteeing you for the day of redemption. Which is not the forgiveness of sin. Because in whom we have redemption. We have redemption. If we are talking about forgiveness of sins. Does that make sense? But there is a day of redemption we are waiting for. That this redemption, i.e. forgiveness of sins, has ushered us into to prepare to receive that redemption. Does that make sense? That's the day of redemption. That's the salvation of the believer. That's the day the believer will be saved. That's the day the believer will be born. Are you getting it now? That's the day. So these phrases are used here and there in scriptures and we forget the context. We ignore the context. We are redeemed. We will be redeemed. Listen to me carefully. The believer does not receive forgiveness of sins. It is the world, the unbeliever, that receives forgiveness of sins. But see, because we don't understand this, we are believers. And like I said last week, still grappling or think we are grappling with sin. Why will Paul then start his letters to the churches by calling, reminding them that they are saints? Remind the Corinthian church, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. It's the unbeliever that receives forgiveness to become a believer. So now as a believer, you are not being ministered to what you were ministered to as an unbeliever to become a believer. Listen to me. The diet changes. Same gospel preached to the unbeliever to receive salvation, taught to the believer to prepare to receive salvation. <laughs> does that make sense? The unbeliever does not receive eternal life. You are offered eternal life as an unbeliever, but you receive it by receiving the forgiveness of sins. Because it's only sons that will receive eternal life. Does that make sense? It's only sons that are queued up for adoption. I am come that they may have life. They. Us. But something stands in the way. What? Sin. So now let's deal with sin. We deal with sin. Now sin is removed. Who has believed that their sin is removed? Stand up. You stand up. You have believed, you have received, your sins are forgiven. You believe it. Collect the Holy Spirit. Engagement ring. And then you now enter the process, the period from the cross. Start to journey to the glory. That's adoption. That's the hope of eternal life. That is your salvation as a son. Does that make sense? That's your salvation as a son. 
that an unbeliever cannot receive. As a son now, you also are not in the business fighting to receive what you received as an unbeliever. Forgiveness of sin. We have forgiveness of sins. Are you getting it? We have forgiveness of sins. We're not asking for forgiveness of sins every day. Our hope, forgive me, Nigerian parlance, our hope has senior forgiveness of sins. It's an insult for a believer to be waking up every day hoping for forgiveness. Believer, no, 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 we have senior forgive us, Lord. Our trespasses. Oh, forgive. Oh, Lord, I sinned against you. No! The moment I believed, that ship sailed. For the believer, forgiveness of sins is a done deal. Our hope is bigger than forgiveness of sins. Oh, hallelujah. No, we sin your forgiveness. That's unbelievers. Unbelievers, let's go and preach the gospel to them and let them know their sins are forgiven. Let them believe and join us to hope for what we're really hoping for, please. Oh, what's this? <laughs> what's this? We can't be on different pages, so let's preach the gospel to you. Receive the forgiveness of sins that we have received. Join us, let's hope for the real thing. The end of our faith. The real thing. You can't bog us down constantly coming back to what has been long taken care of. What did we believe for except if we believed in vain? Now, I don't know about you, but I have not believed in vain. I will not be humiliated for believing what was a big lie. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> Because it is the power of God to save me, the believer. Me, 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 the believer. <laughs> me, the believer. What I'm believing for is different, sir. <laughs> what I'm believing for is different. Is different. What we're believing for is different. What we're believing God for is different. The ring we're wearing on our hand is for is different. Oh. different. And the sad thing is to have precious saints trapped in dead end religious activities believing God as sons for what they received as sinners. Believing God as sons for what you received as sinners. Therefore devil slate of hand. Therefore distracting you from focusing on the real hope. That leads you to the end of your faith. Salvation of your souls. No. The unbeliever has salvation that is for them only. <laughs> the believer has salvation that is for them only. <laughs> That's the final salvation. That this first salvation prepares you for. Because we will only give this thing to sons, not servants. Adoption is for sons. Immortality is for sons. 
The kingdom is for sons, not servants. What we are believing God for? No, it's not cars and houses and, and, and children and fruit of the womb and, and healing. No, 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 no. These are, these are middle things. These are middle things. These are middle things. We are believing God. Our faith is for the final the real deal. And that's why we must remind ourselves how able he is to do it. That is only how we will not be ashamed. Even if we stand alone, once we establish for ourselves that the God in whom we have believed, Paul said, I know in him whom I've believed, who is able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. Until that day, I know whom I believe. Just Timothy. And he's telling Timothy, see, obey these things. Keep, give yourself wholly, completely to these things. I know whom I believed. It's important. So, some of you might wonder, like I said last week, why are you teaching all this? It's too much grammar. That's why you are still believing, chasing after what unbelievers are chasing after. Jesus told them in Matthew 6, He says, Why worry you for what you shall eat, what you shall wear, what you shall put on? He says, After these things, after these things, the heathen, the pagans, seek. But you, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? A.K.A. Adoption. A.K.A. Redemption. A.K.A. Immortality. That's what you should be seeking. First. Not first as in others are second. Protoss. Only. Protoss. The only one. Don't worry about this eternal. Don't worry about these earthly things. Don't worry about the middle. Seek ye first. He was telling them where to place their hope. Seek ye first. Hope. Eternal life and his righteousness. And these things in that eternal life will be added to you. No, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as all these things that will be added to you are referring to in this life. Is that all Jesus was saying? Is that all Jesus was saying? And these things shall be added to you. Seek you first the kingdom. And these things shall be added to you when you receive what? So it's not the house you're going to have now here. That are these things. Gentiles are seeking. There's stuff that will come to you. In the kingdom still. Besides this one that Gentiles are seeking. You still live well. In the kingdom. Why do you think that that woman came and said, Jesus, one kingdom is coming. Home. Me, I know it. I have two sons. John and James. Their father is Zebedee, my husband. You know him. All of us are fishermen. In that kingdom that is coming, I want John to sit on your left hand and James on your right hand. What do you think she was lobbying for? She was lobbying for the benefits that will come in that kingdom. Because she knew that kingdom, they will be chilling. They will be, they will be, they will be, they will be chopping of life. Sir, let me, let me arrange the position of my two sons. Shabi, you know them. You name them sons of thunder. <laughs> What's the one on your side? 
I want the one who me, I'm sorted once they're on your two sides. What do you think she was loving for? These things. <laughs> the kingdom. So we have redemption. Redemption is coming. Are you here? It's coming. Apollotros is right. I told you guys that. What we have is coming. Because salvation is a complete redemption of the spirit, the soul, and the body. Salvation <laughs> is a complete redemption of the spirit, the soul, and the body. We have hope in Jesus, present help, redeemer, as long as I am still breathing, where is hope? In Jesus, I'll trust in Jesus. Not for car and house. Please. Not for admission and husband. No, that's not what we're wasting hope on. Come on. That's not what we're spending the currency of hope on. No. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Total redemption of the spirit, soul, and body. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Are you getting this at all? 1 Thess 5.23. Jabba gadama go sobe dinge sahala. Please. Who says you are saved by grace through faith? Eh? Who says you have redemption, the forgiveness of, our, of sins? Eh? Who says it's our peace? Who says being justified by faith? He was killed for our transgression and brought to life for our justification. Who? The same Paul is now saying, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Uh, by one sacrifice, he has sanctified, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Romans 10, 14. Now the same person is saying, may he sanctify you completely. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 You see May the God of peace himself sanctify you Completely and may your May your whole Spirit One Soul Two And body Be preserved Blameless Auntie, this your body Preserved blameless even dead, even when dead and rotting in Hades, your body is preserved because you see, the resurrection will take place by the Holy Spirit quickening this body. Son of man, what do you see? I see a valley full of bones. A crowbar. Son of man, can these bones I told you I skipped some things in showing you the gospel as one message in the scriptures. I skipped a lot of things. Can these bones live? Ezekiel looked at bones without sinews, without flesh, without life, rotting and in skeletal form. You don't understand why he now looks at the impossibility of it and says, sir, now you know. You know, Lord. 
Because there's, there's nothing suggesting ability for these bones to live again. Micah says in 7, I skipped a lot of things. Micah says in 7, he says, he says, can a tree live again though it's cut down from the ground? Can it live again? Yeah, Ezekiel says, you know, Lord. God now tells him, prophesy Elama wait to the winds. Breath. Numa. Spirit. Prophesy to the wind, son of man, 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 Ezekiel, son of man, son of man, summon the winds, son of man. And Ezekiel spoke, and wind blew, and each bone came to his bone, and sinews came, flesh came, tendrons, veins. Blood began to flow and they got up a mighty army. What do you think God was showing you? What do you think God was showing you? We now sit in church and start praying. Father, let the dry bones live. That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about resurrection of the dead into immortality by the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. Your body is decayed, no problem. Because you are saved and it contains the Holy Spirit, it is preserved blameless. Blameless. Let it rot. Let it decay. Let it turn to powder and oxidize. At the invocation of the Spirit of God, raised up Christ from the dead life shall come into your body bury it anyhow you like in fact burn it burn it scatter the ashes in the water let the ashes disappear if bone can come back to bone, sir, the four wings of the earth will release your body. This is what Paul is showing them now to him who is able, 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 able to save you. That's power. That's power. That's power. That's this is when we're talking ability. Saving people from sin. No. No, no, no. He's able to preserve you blameless. Die and bury you anyhow. Doesn't matter. Because you were a son, your body is preserved. First Thessalonians 5.23, put it back up. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. First Thessalonians 5.23. May he sanctify you completely so that your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless. At the coming, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have received redemption of our spirit and our soul. Romans 3, 24. 
We have received redemption of the spirit and of our soul or redemption of the spirit or which is to say our soul. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have been justified. Right? We have received redemption. But like I told you last week, breaking news, God is interested in your body. I spend particular attention teaching you how to honor your body. Because each time you thumb down your body, each time you feel you are inadequate, you make a mockery of God's grand design for you with eternity in view. Each time you feel I'm not small enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not fair enough, I'm not dark enough, you are saying that the container God designed to handle your eternity as a seed is inadequate. Repent. Of making a mockery of God's design. That's why I'm comfortable in my skin. It's my skin. He's preserving my skin. He's preserving my container blameless. Because it is a container that will be transformed, sir. It's not your spirit. Your spirit, you didn't have spirit. You were dead. Yeah, that's why it doesn't need revival. Your spirit is your spirit. It's the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God. Your spirit will not be transformed. The problem, the reason why you can't even appreciate your spirit so much is because of this body. When this body is transformed, this corrupt body, when it becomes incorruptible, that's when your spirit will shine. Look at Romans 12 and verse 1. Therefore, brethren, I beseech you, in view, in view, in view of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Why didn't God ask you to present your spirit as a living sacrifice? Why is, why is he interested in presenting your body as a living sacrifice? Why would Paul tell them, do you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Glorify God with your body. Don't carry your body and give it to a prostitute. If God is not interested in your body, then you can use your body to do whatever you like. Sleep with whoever you like. Do, do whatever you like. Put whatever you like in your body. And God is not interested. After all, it's your spirit that is saved. But constantly you see Paul admonishing them, pay attention to your body. Pay attention to your body. Oh, we're not saying make a God out of your body. We're saying pay attention to what is carrying the Holy Spirit. Which is what will be used to wake you up on the day of the Lord. Romans 12, I want to put it up. I beseech you there for brethren. The message of God. That you present what? Bodies. <laughs> First Corinthians 6.13. First Corinthians 6.13. Say God is interested in my body. It's your body that will be raised from the dead. That's why, do you not understand why Paul addresses death asleep? Because when you die, where's your spirit? The spirit of God in you. So when it's time for resurrection, your soul will leave Hades and locate your body. Why? Because in your body is whose spirit? Do you have spirit? So Jesus died. His body is in the tomb. The spirit of God is in the body. His soul went to Hades. His soul. What makes him a living soul? Yeah, this this soul. What the reason why the unbeliever is alive now, even if they have not got the spirit of God, is because of their soul. Nefesh in the Hebrew. Does that make sense? It's nefesh. When an animal dies, its soul ceases to exist. When a human dies, its soul goes to Hades to await resurrection from the dead. What will cause the body to resurrect and act? Answer to your soul. 
It's the spirit. That's why that spirit cannot ever, 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 ever leave you. Do you understand what a seal is now? Can't ever, ever leave you. Cannot. Because if the spirit, if, if you die, and the spirit is not in you, if the spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's look at a few more. Did I show you 1 Corinthians 6.13? I think I mentioned it, but I didn't get there. <laughs> food for the stomach and stomachs for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body, look at this carefully, the what? Is not for sexual immorality, but the body is for the Lord, go on, and the Lord the Lord for the body. Because you see, the Lord needs your body to show power. <laughs> First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Is anybody getting this? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own. 20. Therefore, before you were bought at a price, therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body. And your spirit, which are God's. Your, your body and your spirit both belong to God. They belong to God. Your body and your spirit belong to God. He's interested in your body. Say, God is interested in my body. Ah, uh, Romans 8 and 10. Romans 8 and 10. Hallelujah. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin or dead to sin. In other words, if Christ is in you, your body cannot sin. Because Christ is in you means Christ is in where? What part of you? Is Christ in your soul? How is Christ in you? How? I didn't say where is Christ. How is he in you? Your body is the, body is the temple of the... So how is Christ in you? That's why it is Christ in you, the hope of hope. His spirit is in you. Colossians 1.27. Christ in you. The hope of glory. How is Christ in you? By his spirit. As a seed. As a guarantee. As a deposit. As an engagement ring. Hope of glory. What is glory? Immortality. Eternal life. The kingdom. Your bodies and your spirit are God's. He gave you a spirit. He gave you a body. He needs both to resurrect you to eternal life. You being your soul that has now received forgiveness of sins. It is your being. You as a human being. It's not your body. It's your soul. It's your soul that sins. That's why the soul that sins, Ezekiel 18, 20, shall die. If, if you sin, it's your soul that sinned. Your existence. So who is the sinner? Not your body. Who is your sinner? Not your spirit. You were dead. You had no spirit. So in you walk the spirit of the world. So who was the sinner? Who was the culprit? Who was the criminal? Your soul. When you receive forgiveness of sins, into what dimension did you receive it? Your soul. Hence Paul says we have received the salvation of our souls. At this redemption of your souls, what did you receive? The spirit of God or the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit. Who is the spirit of the Son? 
of God who he has sent forth into our hearts crying our Father. Romans 8, 14 and 15. Colossians 4, 6. Yeah? He has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying our Father. Romans 8, 9. As whoever does not have the spirit of Christ is not his. So Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you. This hope which is Christ in you. This mystery rather. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ is in you because he left his body and decided to use your body by entering as a spirit. Does that make sense? Into your body. So your, your body is not yours. Because your body contains what God will use to raise you up. What will God use to raise you up? The spirit. Where does the spirit live in? Your body. You can't mess with your body. Do you see why Paul would not pretend the Corinthians keep gently? Honor God with your body. He's not saying if you sleep with a prostitute, the Holy Spirit will leave. He wasn't saying that. He was saying, if you know that your body is containing what God will use to bring you to glory, why will you carry it and go and give to a harlot? There's more honor you should give your body. Because God is interested in your body for the end time. <laughs> for the day of the Lord. Therefore, honor God with your body. Are you here? In Romans 8 and 10, have we seen that? Yes, we have seen that. Your bodies are dead because of sin. So, I put here, contrary to long-held beliefs, God is interested in our bodies. Our bodies are not currently born again. But not because they will not be. They will be born again. <laughs> they will be born again. That's why I said last week, if I ever insinuated that your body is not important. I don't think I've ever done that. But in case I have, I, I apologize. I repent. Because God has always been interested in your bodies. Your bodies and your spirits are God's. They belong to God. So what we are expecting is the salvation of our bodies. That's why God is interested in it. Romans 8.23 Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grow within ourselves. What are we groaning? Eagerly awaiting or waiting for the adoption, the redemption Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 21, who will transform our, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able, able to subdue all things to himself. Tipity 21, your lowly body, your despised body, your body that people say, too fat, it's too small, it's too lean, it's too white, it's too dark. It's too... He will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical likeness. You know how I understood that the Lord is interested in your body? Jesus rose with what kind of body? Glorified body. Hold on. How did they recognize him? He went through doors, but he could eat fish on the beach. Ah, it wasn't a spirit. Not just, not just was the tomb empty. The clothes were folded, not just left behind. Scripture says there's neatly, says neatly. Glorified body. We recognize Jesus. He went through walls. 
on the beach. He fried fish and ate fish. Thomas put his hand in his side. No blood flowing. But he wasn't as though he was ghost dad where your hand goes through his body. He put his hand in his side. He said, put your hand here. Feel it. See the holes. It is I. Now, whatever format they saw him in would have been limited to their humanity. So, it's likely they saw him in a format that only their humanity could handle. It's likely. They saw him glorified, whatever that means. That's the whatever that means that John says he does not yet appear. How exactly? He does not yet appear. But when we see him, shall be like him. Philippians 3.21, the message. Who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own? Our earthly bodies. How does Amplified put that? Who by exerting that power which enables him even to subject everything to himself will not only transform but completely refashion our earthly bodies so that they will be like his glorious Tell anybody, don't mess with your seed. Don't mess with your seed. Don't mess with your seed. Ephesians 1 14. Go from 13. New King James, Ephesians 1 13 and 14. In whom, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, having believed, you were sealed, sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, comma, 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 who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is the purchased possession? Your body. That's what was purchased. Glorify God with your bodies, but you were purchased with a huge price. Do you remember? First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, 35 to 55. It's gonna be a beautiful read. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Are you prepared to be messed up? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that the body that shall be grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain, 38. But God gives it a body as he pleases. And to each seed, its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, Another of fish, another of birds. Keep going. But there are also celestial bodies. There's heavenly bodies. And terrestrial bodies, earthly bodies. But the glory of the glory of the celestial one is one. The glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun. I love Paul. Another glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars. For one star, even the stars, one differs in glory from another. Next verse. So also, so also, somebody say so also. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown, somebody say sown, in corruption. That is mortality. It is raised in incorruption, immortality. Keep going, next verse. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised how? It is sown in weakness, this body. It is raised in power. 
It is shown a natural body. This body. What is acting upon it? Glory. There's a glory of. There's a glory of. That's the glorification of the body. It is shown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You see, there's a natural body. There's a spiritual body. And this is so is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. So how is the birthing? First natural, then spiritual. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. Keep going. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. And the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust. So also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man. Oh, see, see, I will teach this here. But as the one who is made of dust. is not referring to the unbeliever. Adam was not created an unbeliever. Adam's natural existence was not sinful until he died. Until he fell. His natural existence was righteous. In the same way that Jesus is the second Adam's natural existence was righteous. Does that make sense? Jesus did not go from sinner to saint. He didn't go from imperfect to perfect. Same way Adam did not arrive imperfect. Adam arrived perfect because he was son of God. Luke 3.38 Adam was son of God man. The son of Enosh. The son of Seth. The son of Adam. Adam who? 1 Corinthians 15, we're around 49 or thereabout. 47, good. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man was the Lord from heaven. Keep going. We're going all the way to 55. As was the man of dust, also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, natural life, He's not talking about unbelievers here. This first birth is not referring to coming from unbeliever to believer. As we have existed in the natural as sons of God. As believers in the natural. The way Jesus lived in the natural and did not receive the name until he was exalted. Humbled himself to death. Even the death on the cross, whereby God highly exalted him and gave him the name. Exalted. It's the glorified Jesus that was given the name. That's when he was adopted. Even though on the eighth day, they named him Jesus. But the adoption as Jesus, the authority as Jesus that we kneel down to now, is not the name Jesus he was given on the eighth day. In the temple. That's not, that's his earthly appellation. The onamatos that we subscribe to is the one he was given when he became born again. When he became adopted as full able-bodied son of God, God gave him the name and subjected all things to him. Not when he was born. Even though he lived a sinless life naturally as the man Jesus. So also is it with us. Who are we now? We are on the earth righteous. <laughs> we are on the earth 
justified. That's why I told you, I said all those things is for here. Do you read? Are you, is it making sense to you now? It is for here that you do kingdom culture. It's for here that you walk in righteousness. It's for here that you walk in justification. It's for here that you walk in the spirit and not by the flesh. It's for here. Your righteous living, your superior living is on earth as a son. Here. As Jesus was on earth here. Doesn't benefit anybody where we're going. It's for here. It's for this middle. It's for this period. I put the text back up. Let's continue. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. 50. Now I see it. Brethren. A flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 51. It gets to get juicy. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. Some of us will die, some of us will not die. Depending on the time that Jesus comes. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. Shall be changed incorruptible. And we, who are alive, if we are alive, shall be changed. 53. For this corruptible, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. 54. When this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, which then shall be brought to pass the same. It is written, death is swallowed up in it. Hold on. It's not enough. That it applied only to Jesus. That scripture. That scripture. Jesus did not fulfill it. Jesus was only the first fruit. <laughs> oh, death. Where is your sting? Grave. Jesus rose from the dead. That is just a token. This scripture is waiting for us to be fulfilled. Otherwise, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit failed. Failed. He failed woefully, blatantly. Because only then will the scripture be fulfilled, saying death is swallowed up in victory. When all of us saints who died and sold our natural body become born again into immortality, then we can stand with Jesus and say that scripture is fulfilled. Will the scripture be fulfilled? Now you understand why Jesus is called the first fruit? First one from the dead is this is one, one thing. But first fruit. First fruit. This is the first proof. Harvest is coming. You know that you that first yam you bring out. You don't go and taste it. Say, ah, the yam don't they reach. Example of my ability. That first, mm, this is the first one. Now, based on the quality of this first one, you can say, ah, my harvest is bountiful. It's after, you, you cannot say after the first yam that your harvest is complete. You can't say that. First yam. You say, ah, don't bother. It doesn't matter which one is bad. It's first one. No. Until all of us are harvested in the same quality. As the first fruit, same quality as the first fruit, same quality as the first fruit, same quality as the first fruit, we must be like him. 
for God to be true. And it's God's responsibility to ensure it. That's why God has the ability to ensure it. 55. 55. Hey. Hallelujah. Where is your sting? When Alexander is transformed. Oh, Hades. Because you cannot say, Hades did not keep Jesus. Hades now kept me. No, no, no. No, no. No. If it did not keep him, if you left the grave behind you, so will I. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Remember that Romans 13, 11. So forgiveness of sins, justification, and imputation of righteousness are just tokens, tokens. Somebody say tokens, 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 tokens. Jesus' resurrection, token, token. Jesus resurrected to prove to us that a man can come. A man can live in this earth sinless. A man can live in this earth righteous. A man can die a natural death, even the worst of deaths. And can be brought back into incorruption and live in a glorified body. As with Jesus, somebody say as with Jesus. So with me. Same quality, same approach, same spirit, no difference. No difference. As with Jesus, so with me. God, by reason of the finished work of Christ, is powerful and able. He can save us to the goal until God will say, it's a goal. Until, until we enter. Until we enter, this is a goal. Oh, I put two sentences here that you write down. Our Savior for sin has come. Our Savior, apart from sin, is coming. Our Savior, long hyphen, for sin, long hyphen, has come. Our Savior, long hyphen, apart from sin. The Savior coming to save people that sin is not an issue for. Is coming. Our Savior for sin has come. Matthew 121. What was the promise of Jesus? Matthew 121. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people so, so from their sins. He has done that. In whom, that's what we can say, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Hey, are you there? Our Savior for sin has come. Our Savior, apart from sin, the Savior that is coming and is not coming to save us from sin because he has already saved us from sin, is coming. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Hebrews 9, 28. That's why I love how Christ consciousness 5 overplays with where we are now in UCG series 2. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Somebody say once. Somebody say was offered once sins of many. Once offered to bear the sins of many. Now, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For salvation apart from sin. <laughs> Am I teaching somebody here? <laughs> he will appear. Those of us who eagerly await, he will appear again a second time apart from.
from sin. So here's what for the believer. Our hope is that when Jesus comes, he's not coming to look for sin. He took away. He's not coming to look for sin. He took away. What is he expecting to find? What is he expecting to find in sons? Then what has he been purifying since? What has he been sanctifying since? And Paul says he's able to, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he's able to sanctify you completely. God of peace. Sanctify you completely. You know, come back. And I'm afraid, just in case you will find sin. Jesus, if you come and find sin in me, you failed. You failed. You're not sanctification as 1 Corinthians 1.30 claims you are. But you became for us sanctification and righteousness. Justification. Next one. You became for me. You now come to look for me. You are finding sin in me, sir. Sir, you did, you did a bad job. But scripture, you see, scripture doesn't teach that. He says he's coming a second time. Apart from sin. For my salvation. How does the TPT put this? When we die, we'll be face to face with Christ. The one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many. And now, now, to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to bring us the fullness of salvation. Let's see it in the message. Hebrews 9.28, let's see what the message puts it as. Christ's death was also a one-time event. But it was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. And so, it took care of sins forever. And so, when next he appears, the outcome for those eager to greet him is precisely, hold on, he took care of sins forever. The outcome, tell us, of those who are waiting for him is what? Precisely. Amplified. Amplified. So, Christ having been offered once and once for all to bear as a burden the sins of many, will appear a second time when he returns to earth, not to deal with sins. Now, if salvation is all about forgiveness of sin, how come they are saying he's not coming to deal with sin, but he's coming to bring salvation? <laughs> he's coming to bring salvation. But he's not coming to deal with sin, he's coming apart from sin. He's coming as though sin does not exist. Now we have dealt with sin, let us bring salvation. There has to be a salvation that's apart from sin. The salvation for sin is from the believer to the unbeliever to start living his first life. <laughs> his first life as the natural Adam before the natural Adam fell. That's why he was called son of God. Son of God. Not son of God before he fell. Son of God. So you, you, the first salvation comes into from unrighteousness to righteousness. You begin to live your first life as son of God in this body of flesh. In this body of flesh. Now we are waiting for the salvation that is apart from sin. Because in this equation, we're not talking sin, sir. It's an insult to be talking sin in this equation. On this side of the cross, for those of us who have believed. We're not talking sin. Our savior for sin has come. Our savior apart from sin is coming. That is what I'm hoping. That is the hope that maketh not a peaceful so no matter. The hope that maketh not a sin. Is my deliverer is coming. That's the song of the righteous. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, I will then in him be found. 
dressed in his righteousness alone 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 not two types of clothing alone not two types of fabric alone not two types of plants on your vineyard alone not Esau and Jacob alone not Isaac and Ishmael alone <laughs> that's what it was about You can't mix the two, sir. Any mixture is error. Any mixture is error. Any mixture is error. Fullness to stand before the throne. At his coming, he will not be looking for the sin he has done away with. At his coming, he will be ending what he has finished. He will not be looking for sin that he has done away with. He'll be coming to end the laws that tell us what he has finished. He'll be coming to bring what he has finished to the goal. <laughs> He'll be coming to carry this thing that he has finished to the intention, to the outcome, to the purpose, to the aim. That's what he's coming back for. And God time for nothing else. He's coming to take into the end what he finished when he screamed the Telestar. He'll be coming back. Ah, to end, to take to the outcome, to take to the intended purpose. What he finished, and then we can cry, the kingdom, the kingdom of, our, of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And we rule and reign with him forever. So, the power of the gospel. First Peter 1 5. First Peter 1 5. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Go to verse 3 and pick the sentence for me. Ah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, who has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Where is it reserved? Reserved in heaven for you, verse 5, who are kept by the dunamin of God through faith. We are kept by God's power through faith for what? Salvation. Not kept in salvation. We are kept for salvation. Means we don't have it yet. That salvation apart from sin we are kept by the power of God and you know how God keeps us he keeps us apart from sin for the salvation that is apart from sin go on kept through faith for salvation ready to be revealed when so that salvation has not even come Romans 5 9 and 10 Romans 5 9 and 10 hallelujah much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath, Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, Romans 1. Not upon us. We shall be saved from wrath through him. See verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more. Having been reconciled, now we're reconciled. What is reconciliation? Dealing with sin. Now that sin has been dealt with, we shall be saved by his life. That's the power of the gospel. Not just to save or to deliver and to supply and redeem, but to bring us into glory. It's the only thing that can. Only the gospel can. You're the only one who can. Bones into armies. 
Great into gardens. Seize into highways. You're the only one who can. The only one who can. Beauty for ashes. Incorruption for corruption. Immortality for mortality. You're the only one who can. The spiritual for the natural. You're the only one who is able. Only the gospel can. That's why the gospel is a person. The power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 24. The gospel is not an eat. It cannot be eat. All this power cannot be eat. You can't talk about all this ability and say eat like it's an abstract. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 tells you that the gospel for the message of the cross, that's the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But look at this line. Look at this line carefully. But to us, what is this being saved? Apart from sin. It is the what? Do not mean. TPT, verse 18. I like it. To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction. But to us who are. To us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released within us. The message. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works and most powerfully as it turns out. Hey, Amplified or NLT. Let's see NLT first. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved, know it is the very power of God. The Amplified. Give me the Amplified. But the message of the cross is foolishness, absurd and illogical to those who are perishing and spiritually dead because they reject it. But to us who are being saved by God's grace, it is the manifestation of the power we are being saved. So you see why we can't be lost? Jesus has not completed what he finished. He has not ended what he finished. What he finished has not reached his intended aim. And its intended aim, I repeat, is not forgiveness of sins. Please. Please. Ah, Jesus is forgetting the basic elementary principles. Repentance from death while faith towards God. Forgiveness of sins. No. We have been saved apart from sin. We have been saved from sin. That's why we are dead to sin. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.24 But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the Dunamin. The gospel is the power. With all this power, it cannot be it. It's him. Who is him? Christos. Who is the power of God. Christ the power of God. Christ the ability God. How is the gospel the power of God? That takes us to the next part. The righteousness of the gospel. <laughs> Romans 1.17 For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live. Not the just shall exercise faith to get a car. The just shall live. Don't forget First Peter 
who will receive the end of your faith. <laughs> Not the just shall get a job by faith. Which life did he promise you? Eternal. How are you going to enter that life? By faith. Sponsored by what? His righteousness. Which is what gives power to the gospel. Because what is immortality? The God life. Not the God kind. The God life. The same quality as God. God has to level the playing field to get you there. So his righteousness is important. Shout it one more time. As with Jesus, so with Alexander. Because God has proven beyond reasonable doubt that he is able to save me apart from sin for eternal life. Give him a shout and a praise. Oh, hallelujah. It is the power of God to bring about the salvation of my body, the redemption of my body, the bringing back to life of dead, dry bones by His Spirit. Oh, go on. I'm just praying the Holy Ghost for a few moments in thanksgiving and joy, with great light, understanding, and rejoicing, and gratitude in your heart. Rejoice in the Holy Ghost. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh hallelujah. Thank you for the hope of salvation. Not just salvation from sin. The hope of salvation apart from sin. So pale shoraganamas, heba kandeli so poke sharada. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah, Jesus! Shegabala nekes. Thank you for the hope of glory. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we rejoice in this hope. We rejoice in this hope. This hope maketh not a shame. This hope maketh not a shame. This hope maketh not a shame. The one who never leaves the one behind. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. 
For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.